and welcome to another week on the From the Booth podcast. We are off and running. We're halfway through the NFL season. Uh, a lot of exciting times here for us. It's been a it's been an interesting first half of the season. Uh, Halloween is tomorrow. Uh, the Waldorf football team was ranked in the top twenty five for the first time ever. Uh, so a little bit of local flavor for us, but it's been. It's been a crazy first eight games. Just when you think you know who's going to be good and how things are going to shake out, uh, it turns out we don't know anything. We don't know anything. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get to our uh, NFL predictions halfway through the year. We're gonna revisit those and and kind of break down the NFL season so far from that. But a few things to get to before we get to the NFL. Let's start last night with Major League Baseball. The Nationals beat the Astros in Game Six. Uh, they force a game seven. That was a very tightly contested game up until that Anthony Rendon uh, home run. It was seven to two last night for the Nationals. And Evan Steven Strasburg was, I don't know if you watched the game or not, but Steven Strasburg was absolutely phenomenal. And they needed him to be. They needed Steven Strasburg to be that guy that he was when he came out of San Diego State where he was the unanimous number one overall pick. And then they put the first game on, they needed him to be that. And they also got a bit of a blessing in disguise because Max Scherzer, because of him being injured, now he's available tonight for game seven. Yeah, absolutely. With those neck and back spasms, he was warming up last night, late in the game. Coach Davey Martinez said, if it got down, I think I saw, he said, if it got down to a one run game, we were going to, uh, we were going to go to Max. So it looks like he's healthy, which is fantastic. I uh, wish him all the best because uh, if you've ever had even a cramp, sometimes that hurts if you get one in your neck or if you sleep on your neck the wrong way. Uh, spasming is a whole different ball game. So hopefully he's ready to go. But uh, he's going to try and give a Steven Strasburg effort. Last night, Strasburg, eight and, one, uh, eight and a third innings pitched. Gave up a couple of runs. Those were both in the first inning, and then that was it from there. Five hits, seven strikeouts. Uh, his ERA all-time in the postseason is 1.56. I believe the only person ahead of him is Christy Mathewson, which is remarkable company for Steven Strasburg. But, yeah, you pointed it out, Evan. This is what they you know, this is what they envisioned when he made his, uh, his first start back in 2010. And this season has been phenomenal for Strasburg. Uh, he went eight and six in the re- eighteen, excuse me, eighteen and six in the regular season. He struck out two hundred fifty-one batters. He had a three-three-two earned run average. And then this postseason, he's gone to another level. He's four and zero with a, or excuse me, five and zero with a twenty with a one point nine three earned run average. He struck out forty in twenty-eight innings. He has been, and that was going into last night, he has been nothing short of remarkable for this Nationals team. They needed him. They will turn to Max Scherzer tonight. Evan, how do you think it shakes out? The road team has won every game so far. Do you think the the Nationals are able to get it done in Houston or Houston defends their home field? I want to pick Washington just because of the story of how this team came from being 19 and 31, losing Bryce Harper to going to game seven of the world series. I want to pick Washington, but the trend has been the home team hasn't won a game, which I I don't, I'm not really a historian on this stuff. Has that ever happened where the home team has lost every single game of a seven game series? So if I'm, 
So if I'm going just by the trend of how the series is going, Houston's going to win because Houston's on the road. But there's one thing from last night's game I want to talk to you about, Cody. Uh, that Trey Turner runner interference call. Oh boy, I I don't understand how that's runners how that's runner interference. Where else is he supposed to go? I I'm trying as I watched the replay. The only thing I could think of was. Where else is he supposed to go? He's running down the line. Guriel had the glove out. It was incident. He didn't. This wasn't a rod smacking the glove out of Bronson Arroyo, you know, smacking the ball out of Bronson Arroyo's glove. This was incidental contact, like interference. It, it's a bit of a stretch for me. It, it's a stretch. No, that that's fair. And, and a lot of people share that sentiment. When you watch the video, uh, when you watch the replay back, Trey Turner kind of a swinging bunt type of thing. He's on top of it, just kind of rolls it over, chops it up the line. He takes off. Now, he takes off on the inside part of the foul line. He takes off the the dirt path that you have there leading to first base. He is definitely on the inside of that path, kind of along the grass as he goes down to first base. Now, he moves with his last few steps to get basically to where he's back in the center of the the lane and stepping, making contact with the base directly on top of the base, directly in the middle of the base. And so you had the umpires trying to determine if he, you know, basically got over in time and did not affect the play of Guriel at first. And I'll say this, Evan, I think that if his glove, uh, Guriel's glove does not come off, that I think you could have had a different story. But the fact that his glove came off when it hit uh, Turner trying to make the play, I think that went a long way as well to trying to figure out what exactly happened in that play. But, I mean, I agree with you. It's when you watch it, when you look at it, and you just exercise some common sense, it didn't look like Trey Turner interfered with him in the play, and so that's why I didn't think it was. I understand, I guess, from the letter of the law when you bust out the rule book and read it, but I just felt like when you watched it, Trey Turner did not, as you mentioned, reach in and knock the ball out. He did not go over the middle of the base and make contact with Guriel. He went down with his last few steps, middle of the bag, Guriel reached over because the throw was up the line. The throw hit Turner. Guriel's glove uh, hit Trey Turner. So I, I agree. I didn't like the call, but I mean, I guess I understand when you bust out the rule book, I understand why you have to make it. And A-Rod, after the game, came out and said that the, refer- that the refs, the umps got the call wrong. And of course, A-Rod's going to be the one saying that. But I look at it through the lens of he's running, the glove happens to hit him. Trey Turner didn't change direction to knock the glove over. It was incidental contact. These things happen. It wound up not mattering because the Nat, the Nats won the game seven to two. So it wound up in the grand scheme of things, not mattering all that much. Uh, Davey Martinez became the first manager to get ejected in a world series game since Bobby Cox in 1996. So a little bit of history there, but the MLB rule book sta- states in part quote, the base runner is permitted to exit the three-foot lane 
by means of a step, stride, reach, or slide in the immediate vicinity of first base for the sole purpose of touching first base. He was doing that. He did not. He didn't break stride. He didn't run at Guriel. It it just happened, and I understand that it's not reviewable, and they have to make a judgment call. It's just to me, I I wouldn't. If it was me making that call, I I I wouldn't do it. Yeah, no, that's completely fair, and I'm right there with you. I I thought it was I thought it was clean, but I understand. Like I said, when you apply the totality of the rule, he was running, uh, skirting the grass as he went down to first base. You know that that's where uh, that line is something that you can't keep. So, like I said, I I I guess I get where they're coming from, but just exercising common sense, watching the play in real time, and seeing that Turner did not affect Guriel's or it did, to me it didn't look like he affected his ability to grab the ball the throw was just way up the line and hit the runner and i think john smoltz pointed something out on the broadcast last night which i thought was interesting he said you know as pitchers we're taught to throw that ball at the runner because you get exactly what happened last night you could potentially get that call they get that call and then Anthony Rendon has a ball don't lie moment. He hits a two-run home run. Nationals beat the Astros 7 to 2, force a game 7. Steven Strasburg now a 5 and 0 record this postseason with a 1.98 earned run average and 47 strikeouts. He's been marvelous. I'll take the Nationals tonight uh in true fashion every road uh every road game the road team every home game excuse me the road team wins i will take the the nationals tonight and steven strasburg i think will win the uh mvp because of his postseason efforts let's play this out let's say houston wins who's the mvp if the astros win the world series i think it would depend a lot on what happens tonight uh in terms of you could give it to garrett cole but with the recency bias and looking at his last start when the Nationals were able to win, I would I would err on the side of Jose Altuve or George Springer. Uh, Carlos Correa, one of those guys I think would have a big hit or a big moment and they would be given uh, they would be given that trophy. Uh, I think all three of those guys are the heart and soul of that Houston Astros team when it gets to a postseason. And so I think I would my money would be on one of those three guys. I'm not sure who. I might lean toward uh, George Springer just because of the heroics that we've seen from him in World Series games. But I think you'd have one of those guys winning it with a with delivering a big moment tonight. I would have to lean towards George Springer because he's hitting 348 with uh, two homers and four runs batted in. Unless Garrett Cole does like a 2014 Madison Bumgarner performance where he just pitches tomorrow and has like the, we're just going to, it's game seven, we're just going to throw him out there. I think that's probably the closest way he could win because I think they're just going to see um, like how they were, how he was in game one and that might ding him a little bit. So he's going to need. A, a Madison Bumgarner 2014 Game 7 type of performance if he's going to win MVP. So I'm leaning towards Springer because of the the runs batted in and the batting average, but it could be Cole. 
Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Game 7 of the World Series tonight in Houston. Series is tied 3-3. to The road team has won all of the games. We'll see if that holds tonight. The Major League Baseball season comes to an end with the World Series tonight. That game uh, at just after 8 o'clock on Fox. Really, really looking forward to that baseball game. Evan, we will slide now to uh, a little news in the NCAA as the NCAA votes unanimously to allow athletes to profit off their name, image, and likeness. This, of course, comes on the heels of a few weeks earlier when California Governor Gavin Newsom signed the basically the Fair Pay to Play Act. Uh, a large portion of the states followed suit. Uh, you had you had uh, Florida, Pennsylvania, Alabama. You had a bunch of different states decide that they were going to implement something similar. And now the NCAA comes and says, basically, you know what? We're going to allow this. We're not going to fight it, which I thought was a good move by the NCAA. I think they were facing a ton of court cases and a ton of expense tied up in fighting this if they were against it. And instead, Evan, they said, you know what? We are going to just get with it and we're going to see what happens here. And it's fair to point out that the NCAA is not doing this out of like the goodness of athletes. They are doing Absolutely this. Absolutely not. They are doing this kicking and screaming, Cody, because they were staring down the barrel of multiple states, namely Florida and North Carolina, enacting similar California legislation. And I think the NCAA looked up and said, look, this is a fight we are never going to win. We just need to wave the white flag and just and just let this happen. Uh, I was a little confused on what the wording of consistent with the collegiate model meant because – Consistent with the collegiate model means that the players don't get anything. <laughs> right. So I'm trying to so I'm so I'm trying to figure out what exactly that means. But I've run into like this thing of like, oh my god, it's going to become the NFL and we're going to have contract holdouts in college. No, it doesn't. All it means is that let's say, for example, because it's not effect until 2021. So let's just say Bo Nix at at Auburn because he's going to be a junior in 2021. All it means is that Bo Nix from 4 to 6 p.m., if an Auburn car dealership wants him to do an autograph meet and greet, he can get $1,000 for doing it. It doesn't mean that someone's going to get a four-year, $500,000 contract to go play at USC or something like that. All it means is you, Cody Clark, can, can go to the local mall and you're going to get $1,000 for a meet and greet, take a few pictures, sign a few autographs, and that's it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And let's let's also be fair. I mean, I, I think that the NCAA looks at this and says, you know, because there's, there's been a push and a rumbling for the NCAA to pay college athletes for a long time, and a lot of that has been pay them for – their work on the field for putting in their 20, 25 hours during the week that, that they are technically allowed to put in for going out and playing those, you know, X amount of hours on a Saturday or a Friday. So there's been a lot of rumblings for people calling 
for the NCAA to pay their players for what they do and the work that they put in. I think the NCAA goes, look, we, we're just going to get on board. We're going to get behind this. One, we don't want to fight all of these different cases in court. And two, this money is not going to come from the NCAA. This is going to come from different avenues, from boosters, from different people who are paying these these people, uh, paying these students for their name and their image and their likeness. This is not something that we're going to have to shell out for. So let's get behind it. Let's figure out how we do it. There, you know, There's going to be a long process to figure out what it looks like. But let's just get behind this, and we'll see what happens. Uh, Evan, you had the uh, you had North Carolina Senator Richard Burr come out and say, uh, if college athletes are going to make money off their likeness in school, their scholarships should be treated like income. I will be introducing legislation that subjects scholarships given to athletes who choose to cash in to income taxes. This is kind of the part of the name image likeness that gets a little bit sticky because you've got you a lot of the money when you're operating on this level is tax free scholarships oftentimes you're not paying taxes on when you start doing this that $1000 you mentioned that Bo Nix has to uh that Bo Nix gets for doing an autograph session he has to report that to the IRS and they are entitled to a portion that he needs to pay and that is called taxes. And everyone who goes that avenue and gets money like that is going to be subjected to that. I mean, this is not something where you can just like get this 50 grand from a car dealership and hey, look, I have $50,000. Well, you do, but then you have to pay taxes to the IRS and then you have whatever's left over. I think that's the part that is going to trip some people up, frankly. And I think that is the part of this whole thing that gets a little bit sticky is you've got a lot of money in college athletics that's tax sheltered anyway. How much of that gets opened up to taxes, if at all, with this entire process? I think that's a part that's interesting to watch as we kind of navigate these waters of paying players for name, image, and likeness. I think that, Cody, we need to call it what it is, and it's a start. It is a start. We They still have a long way to go and a lot of knots to untangle before they get to what it would actually look like. At this point, all we have is an announcement and people trying to figure out what that announcement means and then figuring out the unintended consequences of said announcement. Yeah, I... I'm interested to see how this turns out, but for right now, in this moment, it's just a start. And we, we've we got a ways to go before we figure out what this means and how, how it's going to affect everybody. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point, Evan. It is a start. I think it's a start in the right direction because anyone can profit off their name, image, and likeness. So I have always supported the college athletes be able to do that. But then you just have to figure out what it looks like. You have to figure out if you're going to have, you know, caps on these types of things in terms of athletes like, you know, like you have uh, with scholarships. You know, you can only give out X amount of those. You know, are you are you only allowed to have, you know, X amount of endorsed players or players, you know, getting, you know, whatever it looks like. But it is a start. And it is something I think that's positive, And it's definitely something that we're going to see evolve 
here pretty quickly. All right, Evan, let's stay with the NCAA but slide to college football. Uh, LSU is the new uh, number one in the AP Top 25 poll. That came out, and LSU is on top after a 23-20 win over uh, then number nine Auburn. Auburn has slid to number 11 in the new poll now. Uh, Did they get it right? Did LSU deserve to move up to the number one spot in the country in this most recent poll? What say you? Well, that depends on if you're looking at eye test versus resume. If you're going just by resume, they absolutely got it right because LSU has won three games against top 10 teams. Nobody else can say that. But if you're looking at just the eye test, Ohio, you can make the argument, and a pretty convincing one, that Ohio State should be the number one team in the country. They have won their the closest game they've had all season is 24 points against Michigan State. They win their games by an average of 40 points per game, and they have a point differential of plus 323. And on top of that, they have not allowed a team to give up – sorry, they have not allowed a team – to get more than 300 yards of offense since the season opener. Justin Fields and Chase Young are two of the most dominant players in college football. So just from a, oh my God, this team is crushing people perspective, Ohio State should be number one. But on resume, you got to give it to LSU. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. I think that's interesting to point out. You know, the teams that LSU has beat, you know, we've been saying it for a few weeks now. They've had one of the stronger schedules in the country to date, and so they've been able to run the table with that, and they deserve to move up to that top spot. LSU is off this weekend. Alabama is off this weekend. Next week, 3.30, LSU at Alabama. That is going to be a massive game. Uh, You made a good point. Ohio State has been fun to watch. Ohio State has been killing everyone they've played. Ohio State with Justin Fields at quarterback, with J.K. Dobbins in the backfield, with Chase Young coming off the edge who looks like a top one or two pick. I mean, I, I think that guy could get drafted number one overall. He's that good off the edge for Ohio State. I think LSU and Ohio State have looked like the two most impressive teams in the country so far. I'd probably rank them LSU one, Ohio State two, uh, just from watching games and how they've looked in my opinion, to me as I watch. But uh, LSU, the new number one, Auburn falling in the poll. Evan, the consensus right now, if you look at most of the predictions, if you look at a lot of the percentage chances for the playoff, it's Alabama, LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson. Now, from the next group of teams, Penn State is ranked fifth, Florida ranked sixth, uh, Oregon ranked 7th, Georgia 8, Oklahoma 9, Utah 10. Do you see anyone from that next group as having a legitimate shot to move into the, the field of four? Yes. Yes, and, they're, and it's Penn State. If Penn State can stay undefeated, when they get Ohio State in Columbus late November, that is going to be, in my eyes, a de facto play-in playoff game whoever wins the ohio state penn state game is going to get in so ohio state and ohio state's eight wins seven of those eight wins are against teams that are above 500 so they're not pounding on cupcakes so if penn state can stay unscathed and ohio state can stay unscathed when they play each other in late november 
whoever wins that game in Columbus is going to is going to get in. You can make the argument for Oregon as a one loss pack as a one loss Pac-12 team, but they're going to have to they're going to have to climb a lot of teams to get in there. So I think in that group Penn State's the one that has the most realistic chance. Penn State has a tough road to get there. Uh Penn State is at Minnesota. They're off this weekend. They are at number 13 Minnesota next next Saturday. Then they are at home to host Indiana before they travel to Ohio State and then they have Rutgers to close the year. Uh, Evan says play in game for Ohio State Penn State. I tend to agree. Uh, Penn State would have enough on the resume if they're able to beat Minnesota. They beat Michigan, they beat a ranked Iowa team. So there would definitely be enough on the schedule uh, in terms of quality wins for Penn State, no doubt about it. But that is a tough test coming up at the end of November for Penn State. The loss for Oklahoma is tough. I think if it happened two weeks ago, they would be a little bit better off. I feel like that the fact that it came now is a little bit tougher for Oklahoma. Now, I will say this, Evan. I think Kansas State is a really good football team. And I think they have a chance to rattle off a few more wins. That would definitely help Oklahoma if they are ultimately able to win the Big 12. Kansas State plays Kansas. Then they're at Texas. Then they host West Virginia. They have Texas Tech and Iowa State. Evan, do you think Oklahoma still has a chance or am I reaching there? No, you're not reaching, but they got to get through Baylor first. Because as of right now, Baylor is in first place in the big 12 and they're going to play each other November 16th. So Oklahoma has got to get through Baylor first. Yeah. Oklahoma will have to beat Baylor. Kansas state is ranked 22 right now. They don't have a ranked team left on the schedule to play, but if they keep winning uh, with a, they played uh, obviously with that Oklahoma win, they beat TCU. They lost to Oklahoma state lost to Baylor. So those are their, you know, kind of their top two, losses there but they did beat Oklahoma and if they're able to even remotely come close to running the table the rest of the year that will help Oklahoma but the loss right now is a tough one for the Sooners to swallow the Florida Gators and the Georgia Bulldogs this week uh, this weekend in Jacksonville Evan a massive game with playoff implications Georgia is not necessarily out of it yet Uh, Florida ranked number six in the country that is a big matchup this weekend. It looks like the Gators are going to be pretty close to full strength as well as they're going to get uh, their defensive ends back, uh, Zuniga and Grenard. How do you see that game playing out this weekend? You know, the Florida Gators with one loss, they're at number six. They're not really out of it either. No, they're not. But just from how Georgia has played, that offense has looked kind of uninspiring. They didn't. They lost to South Carolina. They won an ugly, rainy game against Kentucky that had a wide receiver at quarterback and went 56 minutes without completing a pass. Uh, Florida, just from an offensive perspective, I think has been more dynamic and more fun to watch than Georgia. Uh, I'm going to take Florida. To, I'm going to take Florida to win that game at home. I am going to take Florida as well. Very narrow, very narrow margin. I think they're going to get back, as I mentioned, their defensive ends: Jonathan Grenard, Jabari Zuniga. They look like they're on track to play. If those guys play, I definitely like Florida 
as a mostly fully healthy defense uh, against a very dynamic DeAndre Swift and Jake Fromm and company. Uh, that's going to be a really, really good game. Uh, Evan, a couple more with playoff implications. Uh, Utah is at number 10 in the country. They're at Washington. Number seven, Oregon is at USC. And you were talking about Oregon's chances at number seven. They would have to leapfrog some teams. Now, there are teams to leapfrog because, as you mentioned, uh, as we talked about, Florida and Georgia play, Penn State, Ohio State play. You've got a lot of these teams, LSU, Alabama, a lot of these teams still need to play each other. Uh, it helps that the Auburn Tigers remain a very good team. So uh, the fact that Oregon lost to them on opening night, that helps that Auburn continue to be ranked. But this is a this is a test for Oregon to have to go on the road to USC. They have Arizona, Arizona State, and Oregon State left in the season and would need to win uh, the Pac-12, obviously. But they're not quite out of it yet, although this is a big matchup that they have to win this weekend. Oregon has to win this weekend, and I think they will. Uh, Clay Helton's got to know that his days in USC are numbered, especially when Lynn Swan, the athletic director, which was the guy that brought him in, got let go. So USC, they, they've had a rough season, considering that they lost their starting quarterback, and then the, the guy Slovis has looked up and down. Oregon, just from an offensive perspective, was just crushing people immediately after they lost to Auburn. Justin Herbert has put himself back into consideration for being first quarterback taken in the upcoming draft. But, Cody, a sneaky a sneaky game between top 25 teams that game day is going to be at. SMU is back, baby. Pony Express, they're number 15, going – into Memphis to play the number 24 Memphis Tigers. Cody, how excited are you that SMU is back? Yeah. They they are fun to watch. Uh, I I've I've watched uh, I've watched one full game and then I've watched highlights of SMU. That's going to be a fun game to watch because Memphis uh ranked as well as you mentioned college game day. That's a that'll be a tough place for SMU to go into and play. Memphis always usually a solid football team. SMU absolutely uh, firing on all cylinders right now. They've climbed up to 15 in the country. Evan, I think SMU and Baylor are probably two of the better college football stories in terms of what they've been able to do this season. SMU is right there. They have the best chance to be that group of five team that gets into the New Year's Six. At 15, their playoff hopes are kind of non-existent, but it's going to be fun to watch this, assuming that SMU stays undefeated. Watching like SMU go to like the Fiesta Bowl against like a a Penn State or something, you know, just just to see how SMU can stack up against a a Power Five a Power Five team, you know, I'm I'm happy to see SMU back because that thirty for thirty about the SMU team in the '80s is one of my favorites. So it's it's always fun to see uh, like a small school well. They're, they're a small school, but they're in Dallas. So you think that being in Dallas would be a bit of a recruiting advantage. But, you know, if the Big 12 ever wants to get closer to that 12, I mean, I, I can think of worse teams to invite to that conference than SMU. Yeah, I totally, I definitely agree with that. Just ge- geographically, it makes sense. 
um, traditionally there, it makes sense. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I would definitely be able to get on board with that. Um, no doubt about it. Uh, SMU at Memphis game day will be there. SMU number 15 in the country. Evan very astutely points out probably on track for them to be that representative in a new year's six bowl. So going to be a fun one to watch, uh, SMU. You've got Florida, Georgia this weekend, monster game. Uh, you've got Utah at Washington, Oregon at USC, some of the other games with playoff implications. Evan, let's continue with football. Let's slide to the National Football League where there was a kind of anticlimactic trade deadline. Uh, we had a flurry of moves, most of them early. Uh, we'll, we'll run down a, a few of these trades that happened at the uh, NFL trade deadline as that has come and gone. The Rams were the most active team. They trade uh, Keeb Tlaib and a 2025th rounder to Miami for a future seventh round pick. This is on the heels of three other deals that they had already cut. Uh, that was Marcus Peters to Baltimore uh, for a fifth rounder and Kenny Young. That was a 2020 first and a 2021 first, along with a 2021 fourth round pick for Jalen Ramsey from Jacksonville. Then they traded a fifth rounder to Cleveland for an offensive lineman. Uh, you had Miami trade Kenyon Drake to Arizona for a sixth round pick. That one could become a fifth round pick as a conditional pick. You had Detroit trade Quandre Diggs to the Seahawks with a seventh rounder to get a fifth rounder back in return. New England traded a second rounder for Mohamed Sanu. Denver traded Emmanuel Sanders and a fifth to the 49ers for a third rounder and a fourth rounder. Evan, which of these trades, as you kind of looked at the list, as you kind of digest all of these moves, which of these is going to have the biggest impact for their respective team as we come down the stretch? Which trade are you pegging for that kind of impact? Uh, I'm going to pick take a bit of a wild card, and it's the Emmanuel Sanders to the San Francisco 49ers trade. Because up until they got Emmanuel Sanders, who, by the way, his first his first catch in a 49ers uniform was for a touchdown when they put up 51 on Carolina, is that it gives Garoppolo a second option behind George Kittle because coming into that game, the only other player on that roster to catch more than 15 passes was a rookie Debo Samuel. So having Emmanuel Sanders is going to open up the passing game and you can't just key everybody on George Kittle uh, for the LA Rams. They've traded away six draft picks from 2020 to 2021. So here's their 2020 draft status. They have a second round pick, a third rounder, a fourth rounder, and then they don't pick again until round six and seven. In 2021, they have a second rounder, a third rounder, and then they don't pick again until round six in 2021. So they've traded away a lot of draft capital. So it's got to work, and it's got to work soon for the LA Rams or those uh, those chickens are going to come to roost and they're not going to be happy. Yeah, no, I, that is a great point. Uh, you've got a lot of draft capital traded. Uh, Marcus Peters, they traded uh, to Baltimore. That was a big move. The Akeem Tlaib trade, that's basically a salary dump. They're able to get his salary to Miami. Miami took on that salary. 
Akib Tlaib is on injured reserve. I, I don't think he's expected to play the rest of the season. So that is going to be something that Miami just took on that money so that they could get a fifth-round draft pick as they continue their stash of draft picks and their tank for whichever quarterback you want to pick at number one uh, season for the Miami Dolphins, who lost on Monday Night Football to the Steelers to uh, continue that quest and remain winless. Evan, I'm going to go uh, – I do like the Emmanuel Sanders uh, trade for the 49ers. That's big. You saw him catch a four-yard touchdown on his very first reception from Jimmy Garoppolo. That's going to go a long way. Uh, with, As you mentioned, now with Sanders in the slot underneath with a guy like George Kittle, you have a guy like Tevin Coleman. So that's just another weapon that Kyle Shanahan has for the 49ers. That's going to help their wide receiving core exponentially. I really like that the Seahawks traded for Quandre Diggs, uh, a legit starting safety in the NFL from the Detroit Lions, a guy who is going to fit nicely in Seattle and is going to help that defense. I like where Seattle is at this year. I like the team that they have with Russell Wilson, with Chris Carson running the football. They brought in Jadevian Clowney on the defensive uh, defensive side of the football as well. They've had a few injuries in the back end. They decided, hey, we're going to go get a guy. They went and get uh, they went and got Diggs. I think that's a really good add for Seattle that you'll see pay off. But uh, you know, it, it would be it would be tough to argue Emmanuel Sanders as having the biggest impact. I think people are looking at the Mohamed Sanu trade. Uh, I think that one, just because they're the New England Patriots and because it's Tom Brady, I think that Sanu will work out with the New England Patriots, and I think that one will play a big role as well for these uh, for the New England Patriots as they continue to push uh, for their undefeated campaign. We'll see how long that lasts, but they're undefeated right now. And Evan, speaking of the undefeated Patriots who are atop their division, we were talking about what we wanted to cover on the show, and being it's basically the halfway point of the season, we felt that we needed to, uh, you know, obviously revisit our preseason picks, kind of see where we're at halfway through the campaign, see how much of a dumpster fire it may or may not be. And I got news for you we've got dumpster fire written all over both sets of our picks. Our preseason picks look like the third day of the NCAA tournament. Like (laughs) when like six of your sweet 16 teams are already gone. And at this point, you're not even filling out the bracket anymore. Cause what's the point? Okay. So here's my NFC. I had the Eagles winning the NFC East, which could still happen. Yeah. You're still, I had the Rams. I had the Rams winning the NFC West, which seems pretty unlikely. I had I got the Packers and the Saints right. I had the Cowboys in the wild card, and I picked the Atlanta Falcons, who are in complete disarray right now. Uh, so my NFC looks not as bad, but my AFC, I had the Browns and the Chargers in the wild card. <laughs> yeah, that that's not working out. I had the Steelers winning the AFC North. They're kind of they're they're still in it. it, it There's they're still in Baltimore it. Baltimore looks good. Uh, New England and Kansas City were obvious, and then I have, and I, I picked Indy, so I'm I'm riding on Indy at this point. Everything, <laughs> everything else looks just 
not not great. Not great. I'm right there with you. Patriots, we got that one. Chiefs, we would presume, will continue to do their thing and win that division, although the Raiders are, are going to give them a little bit of a run. Uh, I, I definitely whiffed on the Steelers as well to this point in the season. They're still alive, but Baltimore looks pretty good with Lamar Jackson. I had the Texans, uh, so not out of it yet in the AFC South, but the Colts do look good, and the Colts already have a head-to-head win against the Texans. Um, dumpster fire when it comes to the AFC wild card, the Titans and the Chargers. A couple teams who technically aren't out of it, especially the Titans at four and four. They're two and zero with um, they are two and zero with Tannehill under center taking over for Marcus Mariota. So a couple of teams that technically aren't out of it, but the Chargers are three and five. They have not looked good, uh, so missed a couple times there. Evan, you had the Browns in. I think the Browns are going to turn it around. They're going to push for a spot in the AFC late in the season with their schedule. On uh, the NFC, I had the Cowboys on top of their division and winning that division. As of right now, they're doing that by a half a game. I had the Eagles in the wild card. That, I believe, would not come to fruition if the season ended today. I had the Rams in the West. Neither of us saw, I think, the step that the 49ers have taken here. Had the Packers and the Saints right, uh, and then the Atlanta Falcons, the poor Atlanta Falcons. I just, what has even happened in Atlanta? I don't even know. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I last year they got so banged up early on that, you know, the season was kind of a lost cause, and you just kind of attributed it to that, and you move on, and everyone, you know, you've got everybody back healthy to start the year. But Evan, it seemed like the same thing happened. Everyone got hurt, and it turned into a and turned into a mess again. And last week, I learned that Matt Schaub is still a thing, <laughs> and he threw like, for I, nearly 500 yards this past week. I had no idea he was still playing. Like, so I learned that Matt Schaub is still a thing. I guess uh, they just cut Matt Bryant and brought Youngway Koo, who also was the first player to score points in the history of the AAF. So. Take that for what you will. <laughs> um, my awards picks, uh, right now my Michael Thomas Offensive Player of the Year is looking really good. Really good. He leads, he leads the league in catches with 73. Only one other guy has 60, and that's DeAndre Hopkins at 60. He leads the, t- he leads the league in receiving yards at 875. Nobody else has 800. Cooper Cup is second with 792. The only thing he doesn't lead in is touchdowns and there is a five-way tie with receiving touchdowns for six between Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay, Adam Thielen, and DJ Chark of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, my coach of the year pick, Frank Reich, is looking pretty good. They're five and two on top of the AFC South. Um, my MVP pick, Carson Wentz, uh, not so good. Uh, my defensive player of the year, Miles Garrett, he's doing fine, but can can Nick Bosa win rookie? Defensive Rookie of the Year and outright Defensive Player of the Year because he looks like a monster. He does. He had a huge impact in that win over Carolina. Uh, that is – he is a guy off the edge. And we've talked about it in, in multiple weeks. You know, this is a, a defensive front that uh, that the 49ers have really put a ton into in terms of draft capital and building their team up front defensively. Bosa with seven sacks, one interception, a forced fumble, 20 tackles on the season. 
This is a guy who's been an animal off the edge for San Francisco. And Evan, seeing the impact that he's had for this 49ers defense, Nick Bosa out of Ohio State as the second overall pick, for me, if I'm the Miami Dolphins, that you know, everyone is saying tank for Tua. You know, that has been a consensus thing. Tua is now two for two in college when it comes to ankle surgeries and ankle problems. You're seeing the impact that Bosa has. Is there a chance that his fellow Ohio State brethren in Chase Young could go number one? Do you think that would happen, or do you believe Miami still would select a quarterback? I feel like Miami would still select a quarterback because that's just kind of the thing that teams do at number one unless you have like an absurd pass rusher, which Chase Young is looking to be go is looking to be that guy, but you also got a first round pick from the Pittsburgh Steelers. And if the Pittsburgh Steelers continue to struggle, that pick wind might wind up in the top ten. So you could use the number one pick on Chase Young and then seven or eight use it on like a Justin Herbert, a Joe Burrow, maybe trade out of it, maybe sign a guy in free agency for a year, and then take your ch- take your chances at Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence in twenty twenty one. You know, it seems like they might just take a quarterback because that's just what teams do. But they have the potential for two top 10 picks. Maybe use that second one on a quarterback or just try again in 2021. Uh, They have a lot of possibilities at this point. I got news for you. Watching Chase Young and then being able to see the impact that Bosa has had in his first year, I would draft Chase Young number one. You'd think that Steelers pick is going to be somewhere 10 to 15. I got news for you. I think Tua would still be on the board there. Joe Burrow might be gone. Justin Herbert might be gone. But if you could get like a Jake Fromm or a Tua Tungavailoa and have Chase Young, I mean, I think that would be a no-brainer for Miami. So we'll see how that works out. But uh, as far as our predictions go, we... We still need a little help, but of course the season is not over. It's just, you know, halfway gone. Uh, I I know for me personally, it looks like I way overvalued the Eagles talent. Uh, I had New England and Philadelphia. I had the Eagles getting all the way to the Super Bowl. I did too. Uh, I did too. Right right now, not something that I'm uh, that I'm too confident in, but they're not dead in the water yet. They're four and four this season, coming off a thirty one to thirteen win against the Bills. They will take on the Chicago Bears at home this weekend. A Bears team, Evan, that we uh, that we should touch on. Did you see what happened over the weekend with Matt Nagy and the whole field goal thing? I did, I did, and everybody crushed him for it. Of oh, this is a vote of no confidence in Mitch Trubisky, which it's kind of hard to argue against that. I was gonna say, do you agree? Because I definitely feel like it. Fe- it felt to me as if it was a. I'm not too confident in my offense. I'm just going to kick this 41-yarder. It reminded me of, remember in 2017 when Jacksonville made it all the way to the AFC title game? And after and when they beat the Steelers without Blake Bortles throwing a pass, someone asked Doug Marone in a game, ideally, how many passes would you have Blake Bortles throw? And his answer was none. <laughs> it, 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 it reminded me of that. Uh, but how about Andy Dalton getting benched on his birthday? Tough pill to swallow on your 32nd. That's brutal. But if you're the Bengals, you're 0-8. Why not? Let's just throw Finley out there and see what the guy can do. Maybe he'll 
rattle off and win a couple of games or we crater and go one and 15. I mean, the Bengals are 0 and 8. They're going nowhere. Why not? I mean, I felt like they had to do it. If you're the Bengals and you're trying to get the number one pick, the Bengals almost beat Seattle in week one. They were, they barely lost to the Bills by four. They lost to the Cardinals by three. They lost to the Ravens by six. Uh, and they only lost to the Jags by 10. And that was a close game for a large portion of definitely through the first half. Evan, Andy Dalton, if he's at quarterback, you've got a chance to to win, mess around and win a game now that you've got A.J. Green back. I think they made this move because they, they know that Andy Dalton could potentially mess around and win a game and mess up the tanking thing. Andy Dalton right now leads the league in passes completed, leads the league in attempts, and he's fourth in passing yards. So if you look just from a statistical season, I mean, he's doing just fine. Yeah, and they've had but, a chance to win a couple of these games. I mean, Andy Dalton is like that guy where he'll throw for like 4,000 yards and his team goes like 7-9, and nine, so like what does it really mean? Uh, I, I feel bad for the guy. Happy birthday. Uh, you're getting benched. Uh, it's, a rough, it's a rough day in since It's a rough day in Cincinnati. Uh, Miles Garrett, by the way, is tied for the league lead in sacks with 10. So my defensive player of the year pick isn't looking as bad as I thought it would. Well, Cody, we are a week into the NBA season. Anthony Davis put up 40 points and 20 rebounds in three quarters. Is that the most impressive thing you've seen on a basketball court in your lifetime? Uh, not in my lifetime, but it was pretty impressive, especially when you consider that it was mostly, uh, mostly at the free throw line. Uh, yeah, I think he was, I think he shot something close to 30 free throws last night in that game. Uh, you know, I've been watching, been watching the Lakers, been watching these games. There's a lot of buzz around the Clippers and we'll talk about them in a second, but Anthony Davis fighting through that shoulder injury, that shoulder soreness last night goes for 40 and 20 in 31 minutes. Evan, this Lakers team, Kyle Kuzma is not healthy. And I know when he comes back, and I know that Anthony Davis doesn't want to be a center. He doesn't want to he doesn't want to play the five. He doesn't want to be categorized as a center. But the Lakers' best lineup is going to be with AD at the five, with LeBron at the four, and with Kyle Kuzma at the three. And if they continue to get what they got out of Anthony Davis last night, now granted it is the Memphis Grizzlies, but if you continue to get what you got from him last night, when you're able to slide him to five with Braun at four and Kyle Kuzma at the three, that is a scary, scary team for the Los Angeles Lakers. But the the Lakers need a ball handler. They traded away Josh Hart and Lonzo Ball. Right now, their point guards are Rajon Rondo and Alex Caruso. And then you also have Danny Green, but he's more of a two-guard the Lakers don't have a lot in terms of tradable assets, so they can't really go out and get a ball handler. So they're going to have to be shrewd shoppers in the buyout market. So just from a they've got LeBron and Anthony Davis perspective, that's great. But this kind of reminds me of that first Heat team where Carlos Arroyo was the point guard for week for opening night. And by the finals, they had whatever was left of Mike Bibby out, out there playing point guard. So I look at this Lakers team, and yes, you've got Anthony Davis, and yes, you've got LeBron James, and then we can just kind of figure the rest out. But 
you need somebody who's going to be a ball handler. Like, I can't expect LeBron James at this point in his career to be a point forward. Well, I think come playoff time, that's exactly what you're going to get. And while you're not going to get that throughout the season, I think it's something where if you're the Lakers, you want to play well, you want to have all the parts fit together, and right now they're 3-1, and one, so out to a good start. You want to play well, you want to get to the playoffs, you want to try and get in the top four to get home home court. But then when you get to the playoffs, you just kind of turn LeBron and Anthony Davis loose uh, with Danny Green, with Kyle Kuzma. You've got a really, really solid team. Evan, the other team in uh, Los Angeles, the Clippers, have been very impressive. They are also 3-1 and one to start the year. They do not have Paul George yet, who continues to be out. I believe that he is out at least a couple more weeks uh, for this Clippers team. And Evan, they've done it. They've built kind of a new super team. You know, this summer we saw the redistribution of stars across the league and this new trend of these duos across the NBA. You have Kawhi and Paul George going to the Clippers. Now with the Dallas Mavericks, you have Chris Tapps Porzingis. You have Luka Doncic with the Lakers, LeBron and AD uh, with the Rockets, James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Uh, with the Philadelphia 76ers, you've kind of got three guys there, but it's basically Ben Simmons and it's Joel Embiid. You've got all these guys kind of in pairs across the league, and the Clippers have done it a little bit of a different way. They have their two. They have Kawhi. They have Paul George. They have you know those two guys, which are two of the best perimeter defenders in the league and two of you know, the top however many wings you want to count in the league, they're right there. But they've also then got the rest of the team filled out extremely complimentary to what Kawhi Leonard and Paul George do. When you look at the roster, Lou Williams coming off the bench, Montrez Harrell coming off the bench, those guys are going to split some six-man of the year votes. You have Patrick Beverly at point guard, the ultimate pest, the guy who you can unleash on anyone you want to annoy on the other team, and Beverly will lock them up defensively. They've got um, seemingly, for casual NBA fans, seemingly random pieces like Mo Harkless, like Jermichael Green, uh, but these are Patrick Patterson, but these are guys, Landry Shamit, who they brought in from Philadelphia in the Tobias Harris deal. But Evan, they've put together a... I feel like an almost perfect roster where you have the defensive stoppers, you have the wing shooting, uh, which is exactly what those other pieces I mentioned, Patterson, Jamichael Green bring. You've got Mo Harkless playing a decent amount of minutes, a guy that they want to play defense, does not need to focus at all really on offense. When you bring in Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell, I think this is the most complete team in the NBA in terms of the Clippers. We'll see how the rest of the season plays out, but they've kind of gone about it with the two major stars and then have a cast of characters that kind of fits together, I'd say, almost perfectly. And they picked up the third-year option on Landry Shamit. Uh, getting him in the Tobias Harris deal is is a bigger deal than people think. He had 16 points and was 4 of 9 for 3 in 35 minutes against the Charlotte Hornets the other day. And they also made the they also got the Zubots trade with the LA Lakers that 
even executives are like, I can't believe that the Clippers pulled this off. But <laughs> I think that this is this has a chance to be the year that I don't think LA is ever going the is going to be a Clippers town, but this is probably the best chance the Clippers are gonna get to making it an LA town. They're they're kind of in like that Chicago White Sox bubble where it doesn't matter how successful they're going to be. It's Chicago's a Cubs place and it always will be. But having guys like Landry Shamet and Zubox and Montrez Harrell, you know, they, they have assembled their roster very carefully. And we're going to learn a lot about this LA Clippers team because they play in Utah tonight. Yeah. That's going to be a very big game. Utah, a contender in the West. Uh, that is a team that I also like that has put together a very solid roster. They are also 3-1 and one to start the year. Evan, I'm already immediately regretting my not putting Greg Popovich and the Spurs in the playoffs pick. Now, they haven't played very many people, and they're at the Clippers tomorrow night, so that game is going to tell us a few things. They beat the Knicks, the Wizards. Uh, the Portland Trailblazers is a solid win. But San Antonio at three and zero, Lamarcus Aldridge doing his thing. Uh, we got a long way to go, but I'm I'm already shaking my head and and probably gonna regret that pick. That's why I picked it. It's like, look, <laughs> I am not picking against Greg Popovich just on principle. I'm just not gonna do it. It's not gonna happen. I'm pretty sure that you could give Greg Popovich, uh, Dejounte Murray, and like. 10 dudes at the Y and he'll still get the eight seed. Like he is that good as a coach that this roster, that roster he had last year had no business being in the playoffs and pushing the nuggets as well as that they did. But he's, he's so good at what he does. I just can't pick against him. And I'm, I'm sorry, Cody. No, that that's fair. I, I, I did. No, it's okay. I did, and three games in, you know, regretting it. Still seventy nine to go, so quite a bit, quite a bit left. But uh, Minnesota, uh, excuse me, San Antonio playing well. Evan, the Minnesota Timberwolves have been a fun team to watch for me. They're three and zero to start the year. They do have a couple of wins over teams we probably think will make the playoffs in the East in terms of the Brooklyn Nets and the Miami Heat. Carl Anthony Towns is on a tear. Anthony Wiggins has been fun to watch. Towns is averaging. 32, 13, five assists, t- over two steals and, and two blocks a game. Wiggins is averaging 20, uh, six rebounds uh, as well. This has been a fun team to watch. They've beat a couple of pretty solid teams early in the year. I'm buying into the, the culture that Ryan Saunders is creating there in Minnesota. The West is loaded. It's going to be a log jam for those, for those uh, top eight seeds in the West and there's going to be a really solid group of teams battling to get in. I think Minnesota could be there. I like what I'm seeing from them here early on. The only thing I don't like seeing is like their uniforms. I'm just not feeling it. Can we <laughs> petition? Can we petition the NBA for them to wear their purple Prince-inspired stuff every year, every game? Those are those are pretty fantastic. I am I am here for the Prince-inspired uniforms. The regular uniforms look kind of like the generic template you get on 2k create a team. <laughs> I'm, I'm just not, I'm just not into it, but think of how much of a disaster the Timberwolves last year with like the Jimmy Butler, Tom Thibodeau saga. And, you know, you can make the argument that Jimmy Butler emasculated towns and Wiggins. Uh, Wiggins is starting to look 
kind of like a number one overall pick when we thought that he was a bust. Carl Anthony Towns looks good. Jarrett Culver, the guy from Texas Tech, looks like he's a, a good draft pick. Noah Vonley still in the league. He's on he's on that team. The they I, I wanna believe in this team, but I just don't know. I, I just don't know. The West is so loaded and I'm waiting for the Timberwolves to figure it out, but I, I I don't know if they will. I just don't know if they will. Yeah, no, that I mean that's fair. The West is absolutely loaded. Uh and a game I'll be watching tonight, the Timberwolves are at uh Philadelphia at the seventy sixers. I think that'll be a telling game to watch. But no, that's completely fair. I mean when you run down the West, you've got the Clippers, the Lakers, the Jazz, the Nuggets, the Rockets, the Trailblazers. I don't think Golden State uh, is going to be out of it, although they haven't played well early on. Then you get into teams like the Thunder, who could make a little bit of noise. Dallas Mavericks are 3-1. and one. They look pretty good. Uh, you've got the San Antonio Spurs, the Timberwolves as well. I mean, you know, you've got your two contenders in the East in terms of contending for an NBA Finals in Philadelphia and Milwaukee. And then when you look past that, we're not really sure in the East. I mean, you could take the three, the four, the five, maybe the sixth seed from the West. They would probably be fighting for that second, third seed in the Eastern Conference. So that's a great point. The West is loaded. It's still early. Minnesota out to a 3-0 and start, but obviously a long way to go. That Western Conference has been fun to watch so far. Uh, Evan, the Dallas Mavericks are a team that I slid into the playoffs at the number eight spot. They're three and one on the season. Luka Doncic continues to play very, very well. Kristaps Porzingis settling in nicely. He's averaging uh, just over 22 a night with eight rebounds as well. Uh, Almost three blocks a night for Porzingis, which definitely helps this Mavericks team. But Luka continuing to do his thing, 25 points. Uh, just under nine rebounds, just under seven assists, couple of steals as well. Boy, that was a good trade for Dallas to get Luka Doncic. A lot of people hadn't seen him very much. A lot of people questioned the de- questioned it after looking at what Trey Young uh, was able to do in college, just in terms of some of his dynamic scoring. But it sure does look like Dallas made the right draft pick in picking Luka. It looks like they did. Uh, Trey Young uh, has that ankle sprain, so who knows how healthy he's going to be. Like, I, I like watching Trey Young. I think that he has a chance to be what they th- – I don't think he's ever going to be like the East version of Steph Curry, but I think he can be a, a pretty good alternative. But the the Mavericks are building around Luka, and they – the win against the Denver Nuggets showed that when Luca is having a rough night, he can lean on Porzingis and he can lean on the rest of that team. And the Mavericks found a way to beat the Denver Nuggets, but they, the Dallas Mavericks have a, had a lot of turnover. Uh, they, at one point they had Dennis Smith jr. Wesley Matthews and Deandre Jordan. They're all gone. And in their place, they brought in Trey Burke, Tim Hardaway Jr., Porzingis. Harrison Barnes was traded to the Sacramento Kings. You know, Dallas, it seems like, has built a nice roster to complement Luka, but it might take a year or two before they get to where they want to be. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Playing well early on, you look at some of those pieces. You have Luka, you have Porzingis. That win against the Nuggets was a Rick Carlisle win, if I've ever seen one, and just an all-around team effort. Uh, Porzingis had 10. 
uh, Finney Smith had 12. Luca had 12. Seth Curry had 10. Everybody off the bench. Uh, nine of the 10 guys who played scored in double figures. Brunson off the bench, 12. Uh, excuse me, 11. Uh, DeLon Wright off the bench, 12. Hardaway off the bench, 14. Uh, Maxi Kleba, 14. Justin Jackson, 10. This is a team that can get contributions from a bunch of different guys. You saw it last night. As you pointed out, Luka didn't have his best game, just 3 for 12 from the field, but he leans on those other guys. Porzingis with a double-double, 10 points, 14 rebounds. I like the team that they've put around these two guys. It might take a year to um, a couple of years for them to really pop and really move to the towards the top of the Western Conference. But this is a team that I think will be competing for one of those last couple of playoff spots. Last night proved it against a team that I picked to be the best regular season team in the Western Conference, the Denver Nuggets, who are now 3-1. and And the Mavericks are 3-1 and with a 109-106 win last night over the Denver Nuggets. So another team to watch in terms of Dallas. They've got their two stars in Luka and Chris Stapps Porzingis. Uh, Philadelphia on top of the East at 3-0. and Miami and Toronto both 3-1. and Milwaukee and Boston, they're lurking at 2-1 and early on. The Spurs, the Timberwolves, the undefeated teams in the West. Dallas, the Lakers, Utah, Denver, and the Clippers all 3-1. and The Rockets 2-1 and on the, uh, for their start to this NBA campaign. So going to be some fun storylines to watch in the NBA. We gave you some of the teams that we like and looking at some of the teams that we think will continue to play well in the NBA. Evan, another good week, another fun show, my man. Exactly. Uh, Halloween is tomorrow, so are you going to do anything for Halloween, Cody? I am, you know, I'm not a big dress-up-for-Halloween guy. Now, obviously, we I did when, when I was younger, and I have three younger brothers, so we kind of all we used to do themes and one time we went as the four musketeers when we were younger, you know, all that stuff. It was great, but you know, it it just doesn't do it for me. It's, it's not something that I'm uh, not something that I get super excited about. It's not, it just doesn't do it for me. I don't dress up anymore. Uh, My Halloween duty has just been sitting at home, handing out candy to like the four kids that come to our house. (laughs) We don't, we don't get a lot of traffic. So, I have to buy the candy the day the either the day before or the day of because if I do it earlier I'll just eat it all and I'm gonna have to buy a second bag. Amen to that. So I will be sitting I will be sitting at home watching the 49ers Cardinals Thursday night game and answering the door for whoever happens to to come to the house. I'm not gonna dress up. I mean I might, but it would have to be whatever I could find in my closet that would be a passable costume. I haven't bought a costume and I don't remember how long, <laughs> but Cody, are you going to, are you going to be watching that Thursday night, Halloween 49ers Cardinals game? Oh, most definitely. I'll be at work and I will be uh, doing my work duties and watching that football game. The young upstart Cardinals with Kyler Murray, with Cliff Kingsbury, uh, the 49ers who are out to an undefeated start to the year at seven and zero coming off a big win against the Panthers. They're trying to keep it rolling going into the game against Seattle next week. So absolutely interested in that Cardinals 49ers game, the addition of Emmanuel Sanders, which we talked about. I like this 49ers team. A lot still to be determined on where you think, or, or I guess how far you think they can go with Garoppolo at quarterback. But that defense 
is looking good. Car- Garoppolo has looked solid. They added Emmanuel Sanders at the deadline. That is going to be a fun one to watch, the Cardinals and the 49ers on Thursday night on Halloween. Going to be a good one. Evan, thanks so much for uh, another great week. I think that's going to do it for us here on this episode. Uh, We appreciate you all for tuning in and listening to the From the Booth podcast. We greatly appreciate that. Uh, As always, give us a follow on Twitter at From the Booth Pod. Uh, You can get uh, all of our episodes. uh, We post links to them on Twitter, so follow for that. Uh, If you want to listen to the show, uh, if you're not already, shame on you. Uh, if you are, we, we greatly appreciate it. Head over to Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Podbean. Basically, anywhere you can get a podcast, we're there. If you don't see us, let us know and we'll get it there. But we're pretty much already there already, so check us out. Uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating. Drop us a comment. A number of you have already done that. We greatly appreciate that. Tell us how you enjoy the show that helps us out when it comes to Apple Podcasts. So if that's your platform of choice, make sure to do that for us. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, special thanks to Evan Eichen, my co-host. As usual, Evan, another great show for you. Uh, Tony Huynh for our podcast artwork, Getting Off the Ground. Thanks to him for doing that as we got off the ground with the podcast. Uh, and as always, thank you all for listening. We greatly appreciate it. And we are right back here next week with uh, more NFL, with more Uh, Major League Baseball reactions to the World Series with more college football. All of that and more coming up next week right here on the From the Booth podcast.